Today's sermon comes from Luke 24, 36 through 49. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. I was reading an article this past week on the most highlighted passages in Amazon's Kindle e-reader. You know, Amazon can track what is highlighted uh, in, in the e-reader and their Kindles. And so they, they, they made this list of the most popular passages that were highlighted in the best-selling books, such as the Hunger Games and Harry Potter series, but also including the Bible. And do you know what the most highlighted verse in the Bible was? It's the one that starts in Philippians 4 with, do not be anxious about anything. Several years ago, Time Magazine uh, ran a cover story on teenage anxiety. In fact, the cover story was titled, Teen Anxiety and Depression, Why the Kids Are Not Right. And in this article, it went on to say this, today's adolescents are the post 9-11 generation raised in an era of economic and national insecurity. They've never known a time when terrorism and school shootings weren't the norm. They grew up watching their parents weather a severe recession. And perhaps most importantly, they hit puberty at a time when technology and social media were transforming society. Anxiety. We're all familiar with it every one of us, to varying degrees. Anxiety lives and camps out in the uncertain future. And anxiety never lives in the present, nor can it live in the present. Right? It lives in the uncertain future. What does the resurrection of Jesus Christ say about that? How does it address this problem? What kind of future does the resurrection of Jesus Christ secure for you? That's the question that's being answered in this post-resurrection appearance by Jesus. First, we're going to see it secures a restored future. Jesus has already risen from the dead, and after he rose from the dead, he appeared to a number of different groups of people, and this is one of those appearances. And you'll notice in verses 36 to 43 that Jesus spends a lot of time trying to convince the disciples 
and the others gathered that he's not a spirit, that he's not a ghost. In fact, look at verse 37. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And so Jesus sets out and he does two things to show I'm not a spirit, I'm not a ghost, I'm real. First we see is verse 39. He says, look at my hands and my feet. Touch them and see. And a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. And then down in verses 42 and 43, he actually eats a piece of fish. Why? Because ghosts don't eat. He's, he's convincing them. Now, why is this so significant? Why does Jesus spend so much time trying to convince the disciples and the others that he's not a spirit, he's not a ghost? This is actually one of the surprising nuggets of hope that we celebrate at Easter and that we celebrate with Jesus' resurrection. There are a number of world religions that explain the afterlife as some variation of a spiritual, bodiless, soul-like existence where you somehow are absorbed in and you're floating around with the divine. There's a number of religions that, that describe that. That the afterlife, what we might call heaven or whatever it is, that it's, that it's a spiritual place. That it's just a spiritual existence. It's not physical. In fact, there's a Christian version of this. And the Christian version is that heaven is that place where we go and we just kind of float around in the clouds with maybe halos around our heads and we just float in the clouds. And that's our existence for eternity. <laughs> Jesus convinces his disciples he's not a ghost because the future, because of Jesus' resurrection, is a physical, material future. And Jesus wants to make that loud and clear. The scriptures say that when, for those who have trusted in Christ, when Jesus returns, that those who are in Christ will receive resurrection bodies like his. And we see here, his resurrection body is like our present bodies in that they could, they could recognize Jesus. And he ate fish. He ate. But his resurrection body was also unlike our present bodies. He could enter a room by not opening the door and not going through a window. And the scriptures say that that is the resurrection body that is promised to everyone who is in Christ, who has trusted Christ when Jesus returns that the future heaven is a physical place. See, this resurrection of Christ causes us to rethink heaven. In fact, the book of Revelation describes not heaven, but the new heavens and the new earth. That Jesus is remaking not just physical bodies, but a, a new earth that has no more sin, no more natural disasters, no more terrorism, no more shootings, no more weeds that everything that doesn't belong is gonna be gone, but it's gonna be a physical world. You know, it's, it's actually quite confusing that if heaven is just some kind of spiritual place, some just spiritual existence, it begs the question, then what is this now? Why do we have bodies? Why is the word world physical? Why is it material? The answer is because God made it that way. And the answer is because God loves bodies, he loves this world, and he is committed in Christ to remaking it. 
a new heavens and a new earth. Back to their intended design. Jesus ate fish in his resurrected body. We will eat in the new heavens and new earth. This past, uh, about a month ago, my, my father-in-law and my brother-in-law were in town. And so we took them out to North Beach Fish Camp in Atlantic Beach. And if you haven't been, you need to go because it's really, really good. And I've only been there, we've been there a handful of times. It's kind of a special place we'll go. But every time I go, I get the shrimp and grits. It is, it is off the charts. It is the best shrimp and grits you will ever eat. It is amazing. Now, I, listen, when you go out to dinner and you go to a nice place and you eat good food and you go, wow, this is amazing. Or anytime you experience something good in creation, maybe some of you woke up this morning and saw the sunrise on the beach. Or, or you go to some amazing part of this world and you see beauty. What are we supposed to think about that? Is that just, well, you better enjoy it. If you got 20 years left, enjoy it. If you got 40 years left, enjoy it. Because heaven's just gonna be this spiritual place where we just float around. And the answer is no. Jesus rose from the dead and he's that first evidence of a new glorified body that is a pattern that's to come where human bodies are gonna be remade in the image of his glorified body, where the world is gonna be remade. New world, new bodies, no more sin, pain, death. So the resurrected body of Jesus secures a future that causes us to rethink heaven, but it also causes us to rethink pain and suffering. When Jesus in verses 39 and 40 shows them his hands and feet, that is not just him saying, look it, I'm, I'm real, I'm not a ghost. He's showing them his scars from the crucifixion. And we know that from John's gospel account when Thomas, who apparently was not there at one of Jesus' appearances, and he hears from the disciples about Jesus appearing, he says, no, no, no. He says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, I won't believe. And one week later, Jesus shows up to Thomas, and he says, Thomas, here you go. And he had scars the resurrected body of Jesus had scars on his hands and his feet. Why? Why didn't Jesus' resurrected body, why wasn't it sleek and smooth? No, no scars. Why did it have scars? Well, the answer is hidden beautifully in verse 41. And while they still disbelieved for joy, and were marveling. Now that's an odd phrase. Disbelieved for joy. That basically means this. They struggled to believe because it was too good to be true. That's what it means. Why? Because just about a week earlier, those scars were open wounds that were bleeding. And those open wounds that were bleeding were a cause of great fear, anxiety, disillusionment in the disciples. Their world was literally falling apart. And now a week later, when Jesus shows them the scars that a week earlier had been open wounds, they rejoice. Do you see what happens? Those wounds had been a, had been a means of sadness and despair. And one week later, those same wounds that are now scars were a reason for joy. 
Now, what does that teach us? What does that teach us? It teaches us that the new heavens and the new earth, the new heavens and the new earth will be a place of restoration of all that you have lost in this life, not consolation. Let me explain that. Let me explain that. Consolation is comfort for pain and sorrow that you've experienced. Heaven will not be a place where you're just comforted for all the pain and the loss and the sorrow that you had in this life. You know, the one thing that is true is we will not have amnesia. It won't be like uh, when we get in the new heavens and new earth that we'll just forget everything bad that happened. No, we'll remember it. The difference, though, will be that that the sadness that was associated with that scar in this life, that scar, and and I believe that consistent with Jesus' body, that we will have some sort of scars in the new heavens and new earth. Maybe not physical, maybe they're mental, but those scars will be a reason for rejoicing because all that was lost in this life will be restored infinitely greater in the new heavens and the new earth. The pain from a broken marriage or the pain uh, from, a, from a failed marriage, or the pain from a marriage you never got to experience in this life will be restored in the new heavens and the new earth when you are married to Christ. You will have the marriage you've always longed for. You will have the bridegroom that you always dreamed of. Or, or the pain and the sorrow associated with a failed career or the pain and sorrow of a career where you, you, you never got the promotion you wanted. You, you woke up Mondays just miserable because it just felt like you were just spinning your wheels and never doing something that was ever really worthwhile. The new heavens and the new earth because of the resurrected Christ will be a place where that's restored. You will work in the new heavens and new earth. We will work. And your work will be so fulfilling and so purposeful Because Jesus rose from the dead, he has secured a future for you that will be restored. It'll be, it will seem and feel too good to be true. It's a restored future. What kind of future does the resurrection of Christ secure for you? First, a restored future. Second, a certain future. Look at what Jesus says to his disciples in verses 44 and 45. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, law of Moses, prophets, Psalms, those are the three major sections of the Old Testament. Jesus was saying the entire Old Testament of the Bible is about me that understanding the scriptures is understanding that truth. Now, there are a lot of flawed views of the Bible. Let me just give you a couple of them. Flawed view of the scriptures or flawed view of the Bible, number one, that the Bible is a book of rules. Now, the Bible has commands in it, yes. It has commands that describe to you how how life is supposed to be lived, how God has designed life, but the Bible is not primarily a book of rules. Flawed view number two. The Bible is a book of heroes. 
Now, there are some people in the Bible that do heroic things, but some of those same people, like King David, did things you would never want to repeat. The Bible is not primarily a book of heroes. No, the Bible is a story. It is a story of how God loves his children and sent his son Jesus Christ to rescue them and win them back. It is a story of rescue from start to finish. And that's what Jesus tells his disciples. To understand the scriptures is to understand me, he says, and what I have done to rescue you. And then he summarizes the story in verses 46 and 47. He says, thus it is written, meaning thus it is written in the Old Testament, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Thus it is written, Jesus suffering foretold in the Old Testament in a number of places. Psalm 22, Psalm 69, Isaiah 53. Jesus' resurrection, again, foretold in all the Old Testament scriptures. Psalm 16, Psalm 110, Psalm 118. Jesus suffered, died, and rose from the dead so that your sins could be forgiven. There is no forgiveness of sins unless Jesus rose from the dead. Paul makes that clear. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, if Christ didn't rise, you're still stuck in your sin. You're still stuck in the guilt and the shame of your sin. I've shared this story from my past before, but I'm gonna add a twist to it this morning. My freshman summer uh, after college, after my freshman year of college, I worked in Burdine's department store in the Pompano Fashion Square in South Florida as a security assistant. Yes. Big job after my freshman year of college. And that one day that I was there in a certain section of the store doing the noble, noble task of making sure that every one of those pieces of clothing had the plastic little clipper on it, the undercover security guard comes up to me and says, Keith, there's a teenager that, that, that just stole a watch from the jewelry department that's headed out into the mall. Come with me. And I, was, and, I, and I thought, that's why they hired me. This was it. This was the moment. And so I joined her, and we, we headed out into the mall. And way out down the mall, and she pointed it out, here was this teenager walking with his mom. So we walked fast, and we caught up. And we stopped him. And sure enough, he had the watch he had stolen. Now, here's the twist. Imagine if we had caught up to them and apprehended them and accused him of stealing the watch and said, there's the watch. And his mother would have pulled out of her purse the sales receipt that says it's been paid for. What would have happened? That teenage boy would have been in legal possession of that watch and we would have walked away. Now imagine if they, instead of leaving the mall, would have just continued to walk around the mall and the undercover security guard and, and, and got me and said, no, I am convinced that he stole that watch. We're gonna go after him again. And so we go out, we apprehend him again. And the mom says, no, and she pulls out the receipt and says, this watch has been paid for. He's in legal possession of it. What would have happened? We would have walked away. The resurrection is the receipt 
that says your sins have been paid for and you are in rightful possession of forgiveness. That's what the resurrection proclaims. That you can be assured of your forgiveness. That it is yours. That Jesus has taken your sins and that he has given you possession of his perfect record in righteousness. Now, there's a big if that's attached to this because this wonderful promise is not yours automatically. In fact, verse 47 says, not only should forgiveness of sins be proclaimed, but it says repentance should be proclaimed. Repentance is simply turning from your sin and turning to Jesus Christ and believing and trusting that he paid for your sin on the cross and placing your trust in him and what he accomplished for you. That's what repentance is. And these promises, even so far, a restored future, a certain future where you know your sins are forgiven and you will spend eternity with God, that is only yours if you have repented. And I would ask you this morning, if you haven't, why haven't you? What is keeping you from turning from your sin to a gracious, loving Father that sent his son Jesus and sacrificed him on the cross in your place so that you wouldn't die? What keeps you from turning to such a gracious, compassionate God like that and to his son Jesus? Maybe on Easter Sunday, you would say, yes, I understand. And I turn, I repent, because I want this future. I want this future that becomes actually not just a future, but a present future. And that brings us to our third point on what kind of future Jesus Christ and his resurrection secures for you. It's a restored future, it's a certain future, and finally, a present future. Look at verse 48. Jesus tells his disciples, you are witnesses of these things. Jesus says, you saw me die on the cross. You saw me raised from the dead. I'm here now, I'm alive. You see me, you're witnesses of this. But in a few days, Jesus would ascend back to heaven. He would, he would be out of sight. They wouldn't physically see him anymore. And so verse 49 Jesus says to him, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. That 10 days after he ascended, he would send his spirit so that the unseen Christ, the risen glorified Christ at the right hand of the Father would be just as real to them as when he was standing in front of them. That that's the role of the Holy Spirit. The role of the Holy Spirit is to make the unseen Christ so real that it's as if he's standing in front of you. That that's what the promise was to the disciples. Yes, I'm leaving. You're not gonna physically see me, but I'm gonna send my Holy Spirit and you are gonna be convinced that I am more real than anything else. The role of the Holy Spirit is to make Christ bigger than your circumstances. The disciples were about to encounter a ruthless, harsh, trying set of circumstances. 
They would, they would be physically, they would suffer. They would be rejected. They would lose everything. And yet Jesus sends his Holy Spirit so that Christ, the risen Christ, would be more real to them than those set of circumstances. You and I, because we live in a broken world, face all kinds of circumstances. And the role of the Holy Spirit is to make Christ bigger than your circumstances, to make Christ more real than your circumstances. You know when you go to the eye doctor and they give you that eye test and they tell you to read the letters on the screen, right? The, the, the first row is what? It's one letter and it's big and it's E. Now, I'm almost legally blind. So when I read it, I can't even read the E. That's how blind I am. But for most normal people, right, you can see the E. It's big. Second row is what? Two letters and smaller. Third row is what? Three letters even smaller. Until you get down to that last row when it's a lot of letters and they're very small and they're not very clear. The Holy Spirit's job is to, is to make Christ that first row position for you. That Jesus Christ, the risen Christ, is crystal clear and that your circumstances would occupy that bottom row. They're there, they're less clear, they're uncertain, but the one thing that's certain is Jesus Christ. The unseen Christ becomes present and real through the power of the Holy Spirit. But not only that, the future kingdom of God, the unseen kingdom of God that Christ will bring when he returns becomes powerfully present and clear through the Holy Spirit. We see this beautifully. Verse 49, Jesus says to his disciples, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. What does that mean? He's saying, you stay here until I send my spirit and you are clothed with power to speak and live as though the future kingdom of God is a present reality. Because what they were gonna face was gonna be hard. And that's exactly what we see happen as the apostles begin living their lives post-resurrection in the book of Acts. We see it with the, the, the character of Noah in the Old Testament. In fact, listen to how Hebrews 11 describes Noah. By faith, Noah, warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear or, or faith, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Noah, because the future unseen event that was coming, which was judgment, the ark was a vessel of salvation, because that future was so real by God's spirit in Noah, he began to build now this ark in the present because that future event was so real. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit makes the future kingdom of God so real to you and so present that you reorder your life around it. You reorder your time. You reorder your money. You reorder your work. You reorder your family. Everything gets reordered around 
the unseen Christ, who is in a glorified physical body at the right hand of the Father in the kingdom, the unseen kingdom that he's bringing. Viktor Frankl was a psychiatrist uh, who survived the Nazi death camps in World War II. And after surviving them, he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And in this book, he described what he saw was the difference between those fellow prisoners that, were, that, that became weak and died and those fellow prisoners that remained strong and lived and survived the death camps. And Viktor Frankl, and he experienced it as well, came to the conclusion that the difference between those people were the ones that were strong and survived had an indestructible hope. Listen to what he says. Life in a concentration camp exposes your soul's foundation. Only a few of the prisoners were able to keep their inner liberty and inner strength. Life only has meaning in any circumstances if we have a hope that neither suffering, circumstances, nor death itself can destroy. What you believe about the future will determine how you handle, how you process, and how you experience present circumstances in your life. The resurrection of Jesus Christ secures for you a future that involves the restoration of all that you have lost in this life. It secures for you a certain future with God and with Christ because you have the assurance that your sins have been paid for and that you are forgiven. And it secures for you a future in which the, the unseen Christ and the future kingdom of God becomes a pulsing, present reality. Let's pray. Father, every one of us, to some degree, finds ourselves in a place of anxiety or fear or worry because of some circumstance in life. If we're all honest, there are, there are uncertain parts of our future that may keep us up at night. And yet we hear loud and clear, Jesus, that your resurrection secures for us a future and gives us an indestructible hope that, Father, you will restore all that we've lost in this life. That our future with you is certain because of the resurrection of Christ. That our sins have been paid for. That, Father, when the, when the accusations come and when the guilt and the shame stack up, that, Jesus, because you're alive and at the right hand of the Father, that you are interceding for us that you are assuring the Father that that sin has been paid for, that sin has been covered. Father, because of the resurrection of Christ, we are assured a future that actually becomes a present reality.
by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for all those gathered here this morning, those that are here that are investigating Christianity, those that aren't sure about who you are, Jesus, that Holy Spirit, you would do a work in their hearts to draw them to yourself, that they would come to know you and come to embrace this beautiful future that's offered in the gospel that becomes a present reality. Father, for those of us that are wrapped up in anxiety and fear, by your Holy Spirit, would you make Jesus Christ bigger than all of our circumstances? Would you make Christ clear and present in a pulsing reality in our hearts? And Father, as we close in worship, may we proclaim and sing with hearts that have been restored and forgiven and hearts that have hope with what is coming in you, Jesus. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.